Episode 168, Deity of Conflict. This is a gaming podcast brought to you by me, Morgan, a.k.a. Bon Diesel. Please take a moment to subscribe to and rate this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to it on. If you're on Spotify or iTunes, please leave a review. If you're on YouTube, please leave a comment for the algorithm. And if you're listening to it on any of the incredible podcast providers, please go to my Twitter, comment on my announcement tweet, uh, retweet it, quote tweet it, maybe join my Discord. Let's chat about it. Do all those things. Help support the podcast, please. Thank you to our Patreon supporters this month, PK, Uber Timmy, Hassan, Christian, Manmade Golf, Grineau, and The Dawn. If you would like to support this podcast and my other content, please check out patreon.com slash bondiesel. Last but not least, please consider contributing to my 2022 Extra Life campaign by clicking on the links in the description, comments, or by checking my Twitter, we've got incentives. If you give more than, I think it's 20 bucks, you get something for free in the mail. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff. So go over there, check it out, and let's um, raise some money for some some kids and uh, my local children's hospital. On to the news. So we are going to start with God of War PC edition reaction. So three, four years later now, we get, uh, you know, Sony's premier franchise on the PC. They've graced us and it's going well. So the open critic score for this right now is uh, a 94 out of a hundred. Um, I went, I looked and it, it, I believe this is actually a point lower than its score, um, for when it came out on PlayStation, which is wild. That's anything over 90 is crazy. And, um, you know, like, like this game beat out Red Dead Redemption two, which to me is the one of, well, in my opinion, the greatest game from last gen, at least from a tech perspective, I understand people had their issues with that game, but man, uh, the, the fact that it was able, able to, you know, beat out, you know, God of War was, you know, it says something. And so we have a really good reaction. Um, the, the reaction for the most part has been very positive of this PC release. Um, I've seen a few little talk, you know, talking points about that. There's a few issues with the controls on mouse and keyboard. This was a game that was obviously designed for a controller. Um, but those things will get figured out probably pretty quickly. So um, yeah, I mean, I plan on buying it. So I played every God of War that released through the PS3. I didn't know the PS4, so I never played this one. And so I'm involved in this world. I care about, you know, Kratos and, and, and what he has going on. I, I really want to play it because I'm not really sold on this significant change of the, of, of, um, of what they did here with making it like a very different 
style of game where the old God of Wars were much more um, kind of like a pulled back perspective and you were kind of experiencing the arena. Um, now they went and Sony-fied it. <laughs> so just like most of their other uh, exclusive games, it's an over-the-shoulder view and it's, you know, kind of does that thing. Um, obviously, most people didn't mind this change because it was highly popular. So I do plan on buying it and checking it out. Maybe not immediately. I, I need to look and see if these games ever go on sale from Sony um, on Steam. And if they do, I might wait a little bit to check it out. But I plan to eventually. So um, there there was an interesting discussion on the Discord where um, someone brought up and said, Hey, like, what if no other games this year score better than a 94? What if this re-release is the highest scoring game of the year? Should it be considered for game of the year? So my reaction is no, because it's not even like a remaster. Like last year, 2021, my game of the year personally was legendary edition of mass effect. That was because it was my first experience with that franchise. So to me, it felt like a new game. Obviously to others, it didn't, and it didn't qualify on most of the major game of the year list. So I, I, I don't, I think this should get the same treatment. Uh, even more so because it's it's essentially just the same game it's just three or four years late for pc platform um, i know they did some um cleaning up and some graphical stuff to, to make it work um i think it has dlss and stuff like that but um this isn't even like a remaster this is just a re-release of the game so the super good score is extremely notable and expected because it's not like the game was going to get worse it's still one of the best games ever made. And so, yeah, if this gets any God, any game of the year nods, I'll honestly be kind of annoyed because uh, if that's the case, then Mass Effect should have last year. But that's just my uh, my very biased opinion, obviously, as we all know. So I'm really excited to check this out. I'm curious if you'll leave your comments or reply to me on Twitter and let me know what you thought if you've played this. It seems like there's a lot of people kind of waiting to see, like, um, it seems like a lot of people already played it on PlayStation, so maybe they just upgraded their PC. They want to do that whole thing. But for people like me, um, I, I, I think, I mean, I don't, I, I, I do. And I don't understand why the Sony exclusives aren't released day one on PC. Um, I think Sony sees PC as an extension of Xbox, which is a fair thing for them to think I, I i think that's fair um so they you know they they don't want to do that they want to sell playstations i i've talked about this a few times before but you know this not releasing on day one is is my biggest piece of evidence to say like sony's still stuck in like 10 years ago when selling the most consoles is what mattered and they're going to the ps5 is going to sell more than xbox no doubt it, it, that's going to happen partially because it has really good exclusives and a huge fan base and, um, you know, those things, but also because that's their main goal is to sell more consoles where it's obvious that Xbox has said, Hey, they're going to win that race. You know, we'll sell as many Xboxes as we can, but we're not going to, we're not going to outdo them. Their, 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 their player base is too big. You know, are you know really what they're trying to do is convince some PlayStation buyers to buy theirs too, or to play their games on PC. And what I think we're going to find with services like Game Pass and things like that is that in the future, 
by next gen at least on the Xbox side, they're just going to be providing you, and it's what they're doing right now, really. The The Xbox will just be a way for you to play their games. It's it's one way to do it. It's a very convenient way to do it. It's a very nice way to do it. But it's not the way you have to do it. The, the, they don't, the, they'll be fine if you want to play on PC, stream it on your phone, buy an Xbox, maybe multiple Xboxes, depending on the fidelity you want. Um, maybe they'll sell a little you know, streaming box or something that can do some hardware, hardware acceleration. I don't know, but there's, there's this weird thing happening where Xbox is more worried about engagement where it seems like Sony is still stuck in that old school idea of, you know, they got to sell the most consoles and they're going to, they're going to win that race. And, and I've seen this before where they've talked about, um, and it's like car companies, electronics companies, things like that, is that sometimes, you know, certain markets get really stuck in old ways of doing things and they don't advance. And, and I think that's definitely what's happening with Sony here. The other thing to consider is that if you ever look at the profits of it, um, Sony is pretty dependent on PlayStation to be successful. It, that's a, Sony is a really big part of their business and, the profit from it is a big part of the profits of their entire company. Microsoft isn't like that. I, the last time I looked, it was something like Microsoft is worth like 15 or 20 times more than Sony. Like it's, 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 they're, they're not even companies in the same realm. It's almost like comparing like Tesla, the GM or something like, and, and in this space, they are competing and Sony is trumping them in a lot of ways. But in the grand scheme of things, if you compare Sony to Microsoft, it's, it's, it's like little cousin and grandpa, like it's, they're not in the same thing. So, so Microsoft can, can handle if my, if, if Xbox isn't the most profitable part of their business, they have windows, they have all this online stuff, the, the server selling and stuff that they can do. That's where their money is. Xbox is really just a way to get Microsoft into homes. And, um, and I think that this whole day one thing is, is a big indicator of that. And I, I saw someone make the argument, well, like, okay, well, this re-release will end up selling them millions of more copies and it probably will. But I still think that, cause they said this re-release is, a, is, is a lot of hype that this is great hype. People are hyped to buy, to buy God of War four years later. But what I would argue is that that is true. But that there's no hype like a day one release. Um, and I am very confident that if they release their exclusives day one, where the PC people were involved in the, the same with the console people with the hype of a game about to come out. So when uh, Ragnarok comes out or when the next Last of Us comes out or when Horizon Zero Dawn 2 comes out, um, those games will probably eventually reach the PC. But if they released on PC the same day, I think they would sell in the long run more copies. And, and that's just my take. But Sony knows that that would mean, I don't think it would be that many fewer, but it would mean fewer consoles in homes of that have their, their label on it. It would be more people playing on something that doesn't say Sony PlayStation. So I'm really curious to how they're going to evolve in the long run. I don't think they'll change anytime soon. I don't know. We'll see, but we're going to talk more about that shortly. So 
So the next story is Troy Baker and his excursion into uh, NFTs, which is feels like it's a weekly topic now that someone is putting their name to this and then suffering the consequences. So um, Troy Baker has uh, decided to work with a company that uses AI to um, essentially make it where they can sell your voice as an NFT and the people who buy it can use your voice for uh, the metaverse, as they keep saying, or to make content, to make podcasts, to make, you know, video game videos and things like that. Um, that seems insane to me for a voice actor. Now, Troy is probably one of the, uh, he's probably had the most lucrative career of any current voice actor and, uh, maybe he can afford to do this. And, and I would imagine the, uh, the penny being paid by this company to get his voice, uh, is, is substantial. So for him, it probably makes sense, or at least someone sold him on it. Right. So, um, the issue is, is one part of the pushback other than the typical NFT pushback we've been having is that other voice actors are like, Hey man, like you're literally working with a company who at the end of the day is trying to replace us. Um, one little tidbit I did read about was that he's not actually recording. So in theory to do this, you would think that he would go to a studio and they would have a bunch of words and noises they would want him to make in order to um, use this tech to be able to use his voice to make any word that someone types and wants it to say. Um, apparently he's not doing that. So my impression is that they're going to use existing stuff, which then that brings a whole nother issue of licensing and that if they take his voice from other content, video games and podcasts and things like that. Well, they don't own that. So I'm, I need to read more into that to see how that even works, how they're even capturing his voice. Um, if he's not doing it directly, but, um, so that was a big part of the pushback. Um, the other part was that he took a real arrogant, uh, stance on this and the way he presented it of like, I'm just trying to be creative. And if you don't like that, you're hating, you know, like it was really weird. Um, of course today, the, the, the day after he, he did the, the, the fully expected apology tweet that wasn't really an apology and basically did the, I'm sorry if you're offended thing. Um, and still he said something along the lines of like, I'm just a creative trying to be creative or something like that. And, um, yeah, he, he definitely put himself in a weird spot. Um, my take on it is I'm, I feel like I'm like the only person on earth who has always, um, kind of gotten like a weird, like overly cocky kind of pretentious, uh, feel off of him. And I've never actually been, I'm a fan of his work. He's done some great voice acting. He's, if you play a video game, he's probably in it. So you probably are a fan of him or, or at least have heard him. If you, even if you didn't know. Um, but I've, I've watched a lot of podcasts and interviews and stuff with them and, and they've maybe not want to watch any podcasts or interviews with him. I, he's always been very, um, I don't know, very sure of himself, which isn't a bad thing. Uh, but in the way I'm implying it, it is, it comes off a little rough and him pulling a move like this just doesn't seem that surprising to me. It's, um, on one hand, you know, it's, 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 I suspect these, this company sold him on this idea and probably flashed a nice number in front of him to do it. Um, on the other hand, I, I've seen, I was watching uh, kind of funny and, and they were like, yeah, like, you know, that he probably got kind of tricked into this and they, they gave him a very, um, 
they, they treated him with kid hands or, or whatever. Um, and, and I, I think he knows, I think he knew exactly what this was. Um, I just don't think he cares about the pushback. I think he knows that the way this stuff works, he's prolific. Um, he has probably already plenty of money. Um, some people will pay for this, even if it's like, I mean, like this isn't going to be like a $20 NFT. This is going to be like tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars to, to get his voice. Like this, that's going to be a big deal for whoever gets it. And, um, I, I really, I'm, I'm not willing to, to like feel, to give him the benefit of the doubt. I think he knew exactly what this was. This, this pushback on this stuff has been going on for a long time. Crypto in general, blockchain stuff in general, and especially in the last couple months, NFT stuff. Troy Baker is on video game podcast and he's, he's in this world. The podcast he's on just did an episode about this last week and ripped it apart. NFT stuff. He wasn't on it. He had, he supposedly had something else to do. My guess is he knew he was going to be putting this announcement out and didn't want to have his face on this anti NFT podcast and, and made sure he was busy that day. But that's just my little conspiracy theory. But I, I, I don't know. I, I think this seems super shady. It's, it's the, the thing I keep seeing people say, and, and this is kind of where I stand with it is that the theoretical potential of NFTs and blockchain and all this, um, that there's probably something reasonable there. The problem is, is that it, it, it that doesn't seem to be coming through. What seems to be coming through right now are a handful of people who understand this more than most others who realize that there's a very short window here where they're going to be able to make a quick buck. They're going to be able to make a bunch of money really quickly off of a bunch of rubes who don't know what they're talking about. And, uh, but that are excited about it. And, um, and, and, and we're dealing with a lot of opportunism right now, um, a lot of opportunistic people. Um, and, and maybe, you know, 10 years from now, NFTs and blockchain, all this, it'll probably be called something different will be a regular thing, but right now it's not. And, and the things that are happening, these crappy pieces of art, people are buying this idea of this voice AI NFT thing, which let's see this. And, and I want to actually see this demonstrated too. Um, they're, they're just saying that they're doing this thing. Um, I have a very hard time believing, uh, this will be even worth having because, you know, Troy Baker's voice is obviously, uh, his his business his job but you know just because you can type a thing onto a screen and, and an ai can recreate those words with his voice doesn't mean it's going to uh you know when when I mean, he's an he's a he's an he's a voice actor you know he he isn't he you know gets a part he reads up on the background of that part he reads this the the script and all of the, the lines he's going to be saying and then he performs them. So he, so he performs a line that's a tragic situation and he's, you know, someone is dying in front of him. You know, this, this AI, this, this little NFT thing, you know, may have a sad setting, but it won't be able to perform the way he will. He, you know, he's a human. He understands these emotions. He can, he can put himself in that situation and, and perform these lines in a, in a way that wins him awards and has won him tons of money and this opportunity to do this NFT. Right. And, and I just have a feeling that this, uh, the, this thing is, it's going to sound like your Google maps voice, you know, where it, it like sounds pretty good, but it's obviously not like a real person who's actually talking and, and performing. 
So I think this was a pretty bad move by Troy, but I, I can't, I'm not going to act like this is a surprising move by him. It kind of seems right up his alley. If you want me to be totally honest. Um, but maybe I'm a big dumb, dumb and I, I should mind my business and, and not be so judgmental. I don't know. Let me know what you think. The next story is dying light three. Um, so wait, or is it dying light two? I think it's dying light two. I'm gonna look real quick. This is a little, uh, you know, look behind the, uh, it's dying light two. Okay. So they put out a tweet and it was really interesting. I definitely caught some flack for it where they put out this tweet and they said, it's going to take you 500 hours to beat this game. And and I, I, I quote tweeted it like, Hey, like that sounds awful. Like that, that sounds like a job, not a game. And so a bunch of people jumped on me. My favorite part was um, how many people be like, well, how many hours do you have in the division? Look, you're talking about a single player, uh, you know, story based video game that I'm not under the impression is supposed to have an end game or it's not a looter shooter, you know? Um, and, and I haven't even played the division consistently in like two years, like just to be straight up, like it's, um, basically since warlords of New York. So, uh, I'm, I'm obviously not really into that anymore, or at least not for now. And, and so there was a bunch of pushback similar to mine. And then, um, so they, then they put out another thing that was like, okay, okay, okay. So it's five, 500 hours to explore everything, to collect everything. It's probably about 80 hours to do, uh, the, all of the side missions in the main story and about 20 hours for just the main story. And that's when, you know, everyone comes back down to earth a little bit. And okay, well that's, that's more reasonable. And and I agree 20 hours to finish the main story. If you blow through it, um, that's, a, that's pretty good. If that's all like very story based has cinematics, like it's very, you know, it's going 20 hours is a good campaign. I, I'm still curious, uh, you know, they, they, they put that out there, but the way these games work, like if you played the, the last couple of Assassin's Creed games, like, yeah, if you do all the main story content, it might be like 20 hours, but Assassin's Creed was level gated heavily. And so, yeah, like you, the story took 20 hours, but you had to play 60, 70, 80 hours to have your character at the levels you had to be at to be able to continue the story. And so I'm really curious if dying light two is going to be like that as well. Um, I, I don't know. I don't, I, I never played dying light one. I actually think I did play it for like an hour or two and just wasn't into it. I was, and I am interested in dying light two for sure. Um, it's not like a game I've been like waiting with bated breath for, but I'm curious. Uh, but yeah, so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see about that. Um, I do, I do want to mind my P's and Q's here. Uh, the person who I mentioned last week, who I put in to do a Mass Effect podcast is a com dev for Dying Light 2. I'm really not trying to dog on it. I think the messaging was maybe not, uh, I, I think, you know, now we realize in hindsight that, that people, I, I think people are just getting kind of sick of bloated games. And, and I say this as a former Ubisoft star player, someone who's a big fan of the division, even I don't think the division is that bloated, but maybe I'm just biased. But when you look at games like Wildlands, Ghost Recon and Breakpoint, you look at games like Odyssey and Valhalla uh, and Assassin's Creed. Origins wasn't that bad. It was not quite as, but these games, you have these games that are just, they're so bloated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a thousand hours of gameplay in these games, right? Okay. But it's not like 
interesting gameplay. It's it's like 15 to 20 hours of interesting gameplay and then just crap. Like, I'm just going to call it what it is. It's just crap. Um, I will say it sounds like Assassin's Creed has some, like, really good side missions and quests and stuff like that. But, like, at the end of the day, it's 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 just a, it's a lot of bloat. And, and I think that it feels so 10 years ago for games to be like, there's a thousand hours. You, you can play this game for a thousand hours where at one point that sounded really exciting, right? Like at one point, like, Oh my God, I'm going to get lost in this world. And now in hindsight, we're kind of like, uh, okay, there's a bunch of stuff that I'm not going to want to do, but I'm going to have to do it. <laughs> and, and that's, and that's the way, and that's the way that game, that game goes now. That That's the way the games go right now. And I hope we're on the back end of that. I hope that, you know, seeing things like the Star Wars Fallen Order game, seeing games like Guardians of the Galaxy, and then some of these experiences that have come out in the last couple of years where it doesn't have to be a game as a service. It doesn't have to be a looter shooter. It doesn't have to have 500 hours of content. People are happy to take a game that has like 10, 15, 20, 30 hours of content. And if it's really good, they'll come back and play it. And and I, and I think people are just getting kind of exhausted with this this like almost like asking people to play games as part of their job, which is also an issue with some of the NFT stuff that's going on, but I won't get back into that, at least not yet. And so I, I just, I, I saw a lot of takes people like, especially people clapping back at me, like with my with division two stuff. These are people that must not have been paying attention to me for the last two years because I have definitely gone away from those types of games. Um, I mean, like Mass Effect, I would not put in that category, not even close. Um, uh, in fact, it, it, it actually kind of blows my mind that that the Mass Effect trilogy is so old, yet I haven't found a game who does things the way they do it, not as compelling, at least in, in my opinion, uh, for whatever that's worth. So, um, yeah, Dying Light 2, I'm sure it's going to be a great game. It looks great. Uh, I, I would like to play it at some point, um, but I, I definitely think that uh, we saw at least a little bit of the uh, situation where I think people, like I said, I think people are just getting kind of tired of, of, of being, you know, of these games that uh, they, they, they don't come out in good shape. They, they come out bloated. They, they, they come out, you know, wanting, but somehow they still, you know, brag about having hundreds of hours of gameplay. So, uh, so Dying Light 2 sure it's gonna be really cool i'm curious to what you think about it let me know on youtube twitter and my discord whatever let's chat uh, a little tiny story here next is state of decay 3 i'm a huge state of decay 2 stan um especially at this point that game has just been iterated on i i think let's say from the last gen from the ps4 xbox one generation I think State of the K2 is the best supported game I'm aware of. Um, and it's not, it's not that popular, but undead labs has just put so much time and they're so connected with their community. Their community doesn't love everything they do. I I'm involved and um, people don't love everything they do, but man, like they, they do these like weekly shows where they, where they show you like the end game, they pull up dev builds and show people what they're working on. They just did it this week with a new update. They're working on still for state of the K two. Um, state of the case. It's so cool. The first one was great. The second one was a lot different and it was lacking in some areas that they're adding back. Um, but it's such a great game. So fun. And then now state of the K three. So they are doing a 
bunch of hiring. Um, it looks like they're hiring a bunch of high level and mid and low level positions. And so I suspect that some of the stuff they're doing on stay of the K two, uh, two now is probably wrapping that game up. And, um, if they're hiring big right now, I would, I suspect by this summer, they're probably going to be in full development of stay of the K three which we've only seen a, a cinematic trailer. We really don't know anything about it. It looks like it's going to take place in winter, which I think is new. I don't think that's happened before, or it very well may take place in multiple seasons. Who knows? Um, but if it, if they are starting full development this spring or the summer, I would anticipate probably a two year dev cycle on that. And we would probably see it in 2024, which is super exciting. And, um, and I hope so. Uh, obviously 2023 would be really cool. But if they're only going to start full development this year, I anticipate it'll be two years at least uh, of development for that game. And there's so much other stuff coming from Xbox. It, they're probably, they probably have that time. So, uh, so very exciting news for Day of the K3. Uh, next bit of news here is uh, some updates on the uh, code name Sony Project Spartacus. Uh, this is um, the Game Pass competitor that Sony is allegedly working on. Um, this week, they pulled PlayStation Now cards from retail stores. I believe they were over in uh, Britain, uh, Great Britain, at the game stores, which is like their equivalent of GameStop. And um, it's just led to a lot of speculation. Uh, people think that if they're pulling PlayStation Now cards off the shelf, that probably means that the replacement is coming, which is anticipated to be this codename Spartacus thing. Um the rumors about that is that it's not going to be exactly like game pass. It's going to have more, um, of a game pass feel, but it still won't have day one exclusives. So Ragnarok or, you know, any of these other games that come out will not be day one. You'll still have to buy them. I bet they do like a discount. You get like 10 bucks off or something. If you're, if you have this service and there's a lot of, um, talk that right now, PlayStation now requires that you, um, stream most of the games on there. I think there's some downloads, um, but you have to stream most of it, especially PS3 games, and that there's basically like no PS2 games. Um, but the PS3 games have to be streamed because the PS3 used a cell processor that was proprietary and it wasn't x86 based, which is what PCs are. The The last two generations of systems have been the first, the, the, the generations before the PS3 and 360. Uh, the original Xbox and the PS2, I believe, were x86. And um, uh, basically, there's just a compa compatibility issue. So, uh, the, the, you know, the, these, these, the, the regular systems, these systems simply can't play those games the way they were designed. They, they don't work. It's, it, it's like trying to put, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a good comparison. Uh, vegetable oil in your Prius. It's not, it can't run it. It's, it's, it's not compatible. So, um, yeah, I, I suspect, I mean, this has to be coming sooner or later. Um, while like before I said that PlayStation is, is going to kick butt with their system sales. If this is true, what's coming, um, they aren't going to go all in cause they don't have to, um, Xbox is trying to make up ground. PlayStation has the ground. So I would never expect their answer to game pass to be a full game pass clone. Um, I, I think they know that they can keep charging for their day ones. I think they know that they don't have to do that much to make their player base happy and, um, and to feel like they're getting like their version of the other guys thing. And, um, and I think that's what this is going to be. I think it's going to be a, a lightly castrated version of game pass. And I think most Sony fans will be perfectly fine with that. 
<laughs> honestly. Um, and, and I think that's okay. Uh, I, I, what is nice about it is to see it as a, as a hint that Xbox is putting pressure on Sony and what people need to realize, uh, the whole console war thing is stupid. If anything, what, what's most annoying about the console war is that we shouldn't be arguing about which one's better, but we should really be pushing them to compete because a big part of the problem with the PS4 and uh, Xbox one generation was that PlayStation just dominated so heavily. I can't really think of, of any notable Xbox one exclusives. I love Xbox. Couldn't care. Couldn't care less. And Sony, I mean, they have a litany of them, right? And so what sucks about the last generation is I think it set us back like 10 years in game development because obviously Sony put out great games, God of war and horizon and these games, but they kind of stuck to their formula because they could, because they weren't getting any competition. Xbox stepped on its own foot day one um, and they recovered. And I think by the end of the generation, I think the series or the Xbox one X is a much better hardware than the PlayStation pro, even a four pro. Um, but it still just didn't have the games. It was an incredible piece of, of hardware. I loved my one X. It was incredible. It was great, but it, it still, you know, it, it played those third party games the best, but you know, you can have a PC and do that. Or even the PlayStation four pro was still great. So what we should be rooting for instead of arguing about which one's better, we can have our preferences. Who cares? I don't care. Well, I don't care what you prefer. Let's be very clear about that. But we should really be talking about them competing because, you know, the, this resurgence of Xbox is going to push PlayStation further. They're, they're going to probably vary some of their games more. We might see something other than a third person adventure action game. They might start doing some other stuff. They might try to do something like a Halo or they really might push more into Gran Turismo and try to make it a lot better or do like an arcadey version of Gran Turismo. I don't know to, to go off with Horizon. But the last gen really let PlayStation get com comfy and what they're good at. And, and that's fine. And obviously people loved it, but I think in the long run, it's, it's not good for games. And, and I'm really hoping that, you know, what they're doing with this project Spartacus and stuff is a sign that Xbox is forcing Sony to try. So we'll have to see how that goes. Uh, second, the last story here is grand theft auto six. There's a GameSpot story here talking about, um, that there could be a game, a Grand Theft Auto 6 as early as 2023. And what that comes from is um, Take-Two was, was recently purchased by a big conglomerate giant company. And as part of that, they have a bunch of financial disclosures they have to put out. And one of the financial disclosures is talking about that in 2023, at some point, they're expecting a, a 14 to 15%, I believe, boost in profits. Um, for a game company of 14 to 15% boost is gigantic. And when it comes to take two, the only conceivable game, the only conceivable product that they could put out that would give them that huge of a burst is Grand Theft Auto six. Um, is that what's going to happen? Who knows? Maybe there's a, a bully game in the, in the making or, or, or maybe they, they, this was misread. Maybe the documents weren't completely accurate timeline wise and stuff, but um, I mean, th those documents have to be pretty legit for this big sale to go through. <laughs> so it wouldn't surprise me at all if that's true. And if you remember when they announced Red Dead Redemption 2, um, I can't remember exactly how long it was from the first announcement to the release of the game, but it wasn't long. 
and um, they very well could announce, you know, Grand Theft Auto six this winter or early next year and release it next year. And that wouldn't surprise me at all. So um, be on the lookout for that. And we'll see if we get any more news about it. And we're going to wrap it up here with some good, some good home eating, some good comfy story. I'm going to talk about the division because, yeah, because I have to, you know, this isn't a division podcast anymore, but I know, I know what you people want. I know, I know. So, and I I like talking about it. So I, um, I put up a big, uh, a poll this week where I, I posted something or I actually it was just a tweet. It wasn't a poll. And I just said, Hey, like there's this timeline, there's this, this event that happens. Um, and, and by now I don't think it's spoilers anymore. Um, Lau, the manhunt that's, it's currently ongoing. I believe, um, they're rerunning all of the manhunts and the current one, Lau, the final mission takes place. Go figure at camp David or whatever they call it in the game. I can't even remember. I think it's the third different mission we play there. Um, there's like three variants of it because there's the regular one, the invaded one, and now this new manhunt mission. And what happens in the mission spoilers, I guess, if you still haven't played it, but I hope you have by now is you find out that Fei Lao is there with president Ellis, who we know has been exposed as working for the black with the black tusk, um, to basically subvert the, the division and to try to give them power. Um, over the country and um we go there to get them to get both of them we want to get Faye back because she went rogue we want to get ellis because he's the head of the division and we need to figure out what's going on there and uh you show up and you get about halfway through the mission or a little more towards the end and you find that Faye killed ellis um and subsequent voice messages you get if you play the mission over and over again, you get some voice messages she left for um, you know various people from the original game. And you find out that she says, yeah, I wasn't really rogue, guys. I just knew that was the only way I could get in. I knew I needed to take out Ellis. Um, I have taken that as her saying, like, we need to get rid of Ellis so someone who actually wants to complete the Division's mission will be assigned you know, ownership of the division because it's whoever's next in line. Now that's what we'll talk about in a minute. Um, so you, you find out he's, you find out Ellis is dead. The president's dead. Um, you then pursue Fei Lao. This was, there was a cinematic that came out before this manhunt when it originally dropped a year ago, whatever. And it implied that after you find him dead, you confront her and like, there's a cinematic where you go up and you go to punch her, your, your agent does. And that doesn't show up in this mission. <laughs> that doesn't happen. So my speculation has always been that we were probably supposed to capture Fei Lao at this point. And then they just couldn't finish the mission. They couldn't finish the cinematic or they couldn't get voice acting or whatever, um, whatever, something happened where instead of doing this thing that makes sense, we go and we kill Fei Lao. So my thing I posted about was talking about with the division is that, you know, we have a bunch of these open storylines, this main one being who's going to take over after Ellis. So who's next in line to be president that they can find and is still alive. And I mean, that it'll be interesting how far down the line they have to go. And then will they activate a third wave of division agents? Because what we've learned um, in this manhunt with Fei Lao is that there's a, there's a rogue called Viper and she actually was a, a division agent before the, 
the 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 dollar flu happened and she was never activated and so as we have speculated or as we know i don't really want to say one way or the other the first wave was activated in new york and around the world or at least around the country uh and that didn't go well and that was keener and and some others and then the second wave was activated and that was division one we played as a second wave agent they brought in reinforcements. We came in and, and, and it seems like from the books and the comics and, and the games, they kind of got the situation like mostly under control. And then Black Tusk comes up and this, this, this PMC, whatever, um, being controlled by all these people that we'll probably learn more about later. But um, the second wave comes in and cleans up a lot of the first wave, gets most places, it seems like somewhat under control. Um, but what we know is that there's a large number of agents not activated and they were never activated, I think, because this is that's um, an Alistair control. Ellis was working with Black Tusk and the Black Tusk was telling him, you cannot let anyone activate the rest of the agents, uh, because for all we know, there's a whole nother maybe only half the agents were activated. And when I mentioned this in this tweet, someone responded like, well, hey, like, what are those agents doing? Like, they are just sitting around their apartment waiting to get called up. And that's correct. We know that from Viper. She was waiting and then she decided to take things into her own hands because she didn't get activated. And what you have to realize is that, yeah, obviously these agents for good or bad are going to go out and you know, they're, they're going to try to survive and they're going to try to do what they can do for themselves and for their family and whatever. But just because they have all this training, if, if they aren't activated as a, as a division agent, they don't have Isaac. They don't have all the shade tech. They don't have access to the caches and, and all this infrastructure that the, the, that the division has to help agents do what they do. And so what I'm hoping is that whoever takes over for Ellis, whoever they discover or find or whatever happens there is that that person says, are there more agents? Like, are there people who haven't been activated? And they go, yeah, there's a ton of them. And they hit that activation on everyone who's left. Yeah. And then that brings in some really cool things about like, people who have potentially gone rogue, people who are dead, people, um, civilians. Uh, I won't, I don't want to spoil anything, but that recruited book that just came out, uh, that title is, is very telling about what the book is about. And so if there's, if there's civilians who have kind of earned their way, um, we know that, um, even in the division two, like, you know, our, our, our main, our, uh, the, the other agent we deal with the most is someone who was recruited after this whole situation began. She was brought into the, the division afterwards. So I just, I think that's a really cool line that hopefully will be addressed in the content that's coming or in a DLC one day or in a division three, if that ever happens, maybe in a spinoff game, I don't know, but I'm really curious about that. And then we have a couple other things too, uh, the bioreactor in Chernenko, uh, the whole point of the Pentagon DLC or episode was that we recovered this bioreactor that could mass produce, uh, an antiviral. Uh, and it could be quickly adjusted. So even if uh, the dollar flu replicates and turns into a different virus, which is, you know, art reflecting real life, um, they could they could deal with that. And then in the Coney Island uh, DLC or episode three, um, we captured Chernenko, who can actually use this technology to help us. Um, but then it, nothing happened. If you go to the White House right now, you can go into the bioreactor room. Chernenko's not there. He's nowhere to be found. And that thing's just in there humming, just humming away. And um, 
you know, they, they've kind of, it seems like they've dropped that storyline. I would like to see more. And then the other big one is that in episode, in the third manhunt, we captured Schaefer, <laughs> like Barden Schaefer, one of the highest up people in Black Tusk. Um, we defeated him and brought him in and he's, he's, he's with us. And, um, and there's been comms and stuff that lead me to believe that he may be willing to switch sides and help out the division and help out uh, against Black Tusk. And, uh, and then, you know, in in the fourth manhunt that just disappeared, we got no more information about it. So, um, uh, man, I, I, I like they're, they're deep down. I've got hope that they're eventually going to address all these things and that it's going to be a topic to cover at some point, whether it's a new game, if they ever make another game or, um, whether it's going to be DLC or books or, or whatever, um, maybe Rawson's movie is going to be about <laughs> Barden Schaefer. Probably not. I think it's going to be about the first wave agents, but we'll, uh, we'll have to wait and see about that. So, so there it is. There's that. Um, we'll do some listener questions. We've got uh, master prime reliable as always, uh, with a few questions, uh, thoughts on the 360 halo servers shutting down. Um, I mean, Microsoft has more money than God. So, um, the only reason I can think that they're shutting down the 360 Halo servers, yeah, the people have to keep in mind that the Master Chief Collection has been on the Xbox One and now the series uh, consoles. Um, there, there just can't be that many people left playing on the 360. Um, I know that it, before they shut down, there's people all getting together and playing on it to get achievements and stuff. They're going to be gone forever, um, which is really cool. But they, they, they don't have to shut these down. And I think the only reason they would be is that there's so few people playing that it's not even worth keeping up a little bit. So I, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it probably just means that the, you know, the generate two generations ago console just isn't being played very much because I have to imagine that 360s are, are, are there can't be that many functional ones left at this point, um, even after they fix the red ring of death problem. Um, I, I surely can't imagine that there's that many of them still, still kicking out there. So, um, I don't, I don't think it's a big deal. Um, uh, what is better in the long run for a game, a focus on competitive player base or casual player base. So my only issue here is that I think, um, to, I think I would, I would replace competitive with, um, like dedicated or something because competitive, I mean, you could be a casual competitive player of a game. So, so do you focus on a minority of really serious players of your video game, or do you focus on the majority of more casual people? Um, so the division, I'm going to bring it up because it's the game I know the best here. If I remember from the division one, and I suspect this is true with division two, the average play time. Uh, so there were 10 plus million copies of division two and one sold and probably many more than that at this point. Um, the average play time is like 10 or 15 hours, I think. Um, and whereas like division one, I had like 4,000 hours and then division two, I think I, I have around like 750 or 800. Um, and in division two, I didn't even, I haven't even played that much. I, I played it for, I played it really seriously for like one year and then I haven't played it much since then, but I probably still have seven times the hours of most players. Right. And it, it's tough because you have to focus on both. You, you have to acknowledge that there's people who are going to play through the main story of your game, maybe half of that and leave it. Um, I, I think what people don't recognize in the division community, people who are still involved with the division are, are weird, including myself, but we aren't normal. Like 
95% of division players, maybe less than that, but I bet that number's not too far off. Most division players bought it, played it for a couple weeks, beat the main story, played with their friends a little bit, and then Call of Duty came out or something came out and they went to that. But they look back at the division like, oh, yeah, that was pretty cool. And maybe they came back a couple times when when content did come out. Maybe they did check it out. Like, oh, that's kind of cool. And then they went back to playing whatever they were playing. Like people need to realize that like the reason the division two and the greater scheme of things has a pretty good reputation among gamers is that not everyone tries to play for a thousand hours. Not everyone tries to play for 2000 hours. Most of them haven't played the game in two years, but they still have a positive outlook on the game. And so I think you do have to really, yeah, I think you have to try to cater to both of those. And one thing I think that games, especially games that are meant to be like game as a service, like long-term playing games, what they don't do very well is communicate to their dedicated players, to their thousand hour players that, Hey, we will not be making enough content to keep you busy 24 uh, seven. Mr. Streamer, man, we cannot make eight hours a day, six days a week of content for you. It's not going to happen. Like we won't be doing that. <laughs> it's maybe in like three years, we'll have content that can sustain that for a while, but not today, not day one. It's not going to happen. Um, and, and I think that there's an issue there. Like I think a game like the division two, um, actually treated the casual player pretty well, uh, in that first year, especially, um, and then obviously the people who I know, people like me and, and others who wanted to play that game as their main game to know life forever, that didn't work because well, not many games can can satisfy that. And I, I think, you know, games like Destiny 2 and things like that try, but they don't even succeed. And then a game like The Division 2, like it didn't try it. As much as people want to believe that these games are meant to be played endlessly the division two isn't I, i've been told by a dev specifically that they it was intended to play until you were done until you felt satisfied until you felt bored and then you would leave and then when they put out more content you would come back so so yeah so i i think you need to focus on both unfortunately that's my answer uh your last question for master prime is uh thoughts on games uh, thoughts on games stop being on the disc and requiring a download is gaming ownership disappearing. It's gone. Gaming ownership has been gone forever. It's It's been gone since the last generation. As an example, I haven't purchased a game disc since the 360 era. I never purchased a single disc on the Xbox One, and I haven't purchased one. And I'm not going to on the Series X and whatever comes after that. Um, so I haven't owned any of the games I've purchased for the last, oh, that come out like, nine years or something. So, um, because even if you buy a disc, you don't, uh, almost, I can't think of any games, no mainstream games where when you go to GameStop or Walmart or whatever, and you buy that disc that you can put that disc into your console, not plugged into the internet and play it. Whether it's because there's essential day one patches, whether it's because games are always on where they have to have an internet connection to play at all, or whether it's that that disc for most games nowadays is is essentially just a code, is essentially a proof of ownership. And you put that disc in, it says, yep, this person owns this, and then you download it. And then that's how you play. And so I... I, I think that game ownership has been, isn't, is gone. And I think it's been gone for a long time, in fact. And, uh, 
and then services like Game Pass and stuff are only further pushing that, right? Because not only, you know, every Game Pass game I have on my, my Xbox right now, I didn't pay for it other than paying for a subscription. And if I stop paying for that subscription, I don't get that game anymore. So I don't own it even in that sense. And then you add in the issue of what I just talked about as well, is that you you, you can't unplug your system and play those games. At least most of them you can't. So um, I think that's that, that, that ship sailed a long time ago and I don't expect that to change. And that's been a really interesting thing that people have brought up with NFTs. They're like, you could use NFTs for game ownership. And what they're saying is that essentially you could buy a game and it would be an NFT. So you buy your copy of the game. It's unique to you. And the idea is that game publishers are going to jump on the, to this NFT thing and say Ubisoft, say the, say the division two was sold as a blockchain tracked NFT to me. It could say that once I'm done playing it, once I don't want to play it anymore, I could sell my copy to someone else. And the way that that would work is that like 10% of that transaction would go back to Ubisoft. Ubisoft is never going to do that because you, you have to realize that these hardware manufacturers and software man, software makers, um, th- th- that's essentially what GameStop was doing uh, or, or kind of. But what GameStop would do is you'd buy a game. And the, the, the studio would get that money. The publisher would, uh, that they're cut. And then you would sell your game to GameStop and then they would sell it to someone else. And that cut out the publishers completely. So the idea with this NFT thing with this disc and, or digital thing is that they would at least get a little cut, but why would they, why would they want that? Uh, because especially with GameStop going to the, the shitter going away, essentially, would a game publisher rather get your little 10% of your transaction to someone else, or would they rather just sell that person the full game? (laughs) I mean, even if they're only charging 10 or 15 bucks for that game, that's probably more money than they're going to make from your little 10%, you know, gift to them, you know, fee, whatever it is. So yeah, I I think game ownership has been gone for a long time. I don't think NFTs are going to change that. And I, I suspect that, Uh, We may never truly own a game again, because here's one last thing I'll point out games like the division one and two and games, um, anything that's online required, um, especially the division games, because they, they use the server infrastructure, not just to validate, but to run the AI and to do a bunch and to store your character, to do a bunch of stuff. One day the division one servers will get shut down and you'll never be able to play division one again. And and your character will be gone. It will be like, it never happened. So, so let that sink in. And that's the reality of the future of these games. Hopefully they keep up these servers for 15 years. Who knows? But, but it it will all be gone one day. I promise. Okay. Content updates, nothing real big. Um, from a personal standpoint, we did just have to replace our furnace and air conditioner and everything down there, which was a uh, pretty penny. Um, so if you're willing to support my, uh, the, the, the podcast through Patreon or, uh, to, to, to gift some subs or to sub over on Twitch or something like that, I'd appreciate anything right now. I'm sure Bay Diesel would as well. Uh, so if you're able, that would be super duper cool. Um, if you do it through Patreon, uh, one thing I will throw out about Patreon with, uh, my, uh, extra life is the first month of any Patreon, uh, Patreon, uh, membership, I will match to Patreon. So if you, if you join the Patreon for 10 bucks, I will put that first $10 to the extra life. And then 
you know, we'll treat it like normal after that. So, uh, so do keep that in mind as well. If you decide to be a patron, um, patrons do get this, uh, this episode a few days early and, um, I am going to try to start doing some more stuff for my patrons who are very dedicated and lovely. Um, other than that, I was on a break this week, essentially from content, uh, Bay Diesel is super duper busy and, uh, it was just easier to just take the week off and just kind of go with the flow. So, uh, streams will begin again next week. Um, there's also not any games I really want to stream right now. And, um, yeah, we'll see when that changes. So you may be seeing more Tarkov, the division and maybe Mass Effect, which has been kind of the plan for the last like year. So we'll see. And that's where I'm going to wrap this one up. So uh, I do stream on Twitch over at twitch.tv slash Bondiesel. Um, I also post this podcast, stream VODs, and narrative game videos and other stuff over on YouTube as Bondiesel. If you are on Discord, please check out the description below or my Twitter to join the EchoCast Discord server. Uh, check out my Twitter at Bondiesel or the podcast Twitter at the EchoCast. If you want some cool the EchoCast or Bondiesel merch, check out designedbyhumans.com slash shop slash Bondiesel or streamlabs.com slash Bondiesel slash merch. That's all I have. So until next time. Thank you.